Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast where we try and improve our play through a more analytical approach. I'm joined uh, this week by Seb uh, again, so it's the two of us uh, for a second time uh, in two weeks. And unfortunately Ben couldn't join us, he was feeling, um, he's been a bit unwell this last week. Um, nothing serious, so nothing to worry about and he'll be back on an episode I'm sure in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, but Seb, yeah, how are you doing? How was your, how's your week been? I'm okay, thank you, mate. Yeah, my week's been my week's been all right, and that was that was a very very smooth intro, very practiced, as if <laughs> as if uh, as if you'd had a practice run. But um, yeah, no, I'm good, thank you. And yeah, yeah, it's me and you again. Was us last week, wasn't it? And then I think was it me and Luke the week before. So uh, so I'll have said everything I've got to say, and then you can you can get rid of me for a month and a half and have <laughs> have Ben and Luke on and get some fresh insight. Yes, yeah, and uh, yeah. How's your how's your week been in general? How's things? Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, back back working from home, just lovely white wall after a week in the office down in London. Uh, I think with Luke and a couple of the other streams, like Scout Streams, uh, was in a hotel room wow. uh, for a week. But with like, you know, like, because I've got, uh, you know, very kindly people sent me like a nice mic here and, you know, got a webcam set up there. So it's like an all right setup, apart from one of my headphones is broken, so I've got one headphone. Yeah. But yeah, in the, in the hotel room, I'd had this like little portable mic. I had like webcam through the laptop, which you know, is always that angle. It's like that, you know, under chin angle, yeah. which makes you look makes you look uh, not not the most attractive. So it's nice to be back and just have the have the comfortable setup. Got two screens, so I can, you know, yeah. cheat and pretend I know what I'm talking about, but actually just be looking at numbers over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I guess how was your game week? I guess that's the best thing to go into straight away. Okay. I guess that was at 47 points, I think, which is probably mostly defined not by the point total itself, but the absence of a couple of players. So I had Mbumo, good times. That's where all my, oh, and Stignan, that's where all my points came from. Then I've got, you know, Havertz as opposed to another midfielder such as Foden. And I've still got Gabriel as opposed to Saliba, which is the change I mm. really should have made five minutes before the deadline, but I did not. Uh, so that's probably the main differentiator for me between what was it like a 2 million rank and like a 500k rank, which is probably all right at this stage. Yeah. But I think we were looking just before, just before we came on, we were looking what we were like someone ranked 50k and then myself at 2 million. There's like 30 points between us. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a chunk, but it's also like just one big captaincy swing. Just, just doesn't matter that much. I think it's as much about just positioning yourself and your team for where you want to be in a few weeks, more than worrying about getting the perfect players right now, which I think will be a theme of what we talk about tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And it's even like, so for me, I had a similar week to you, I got 48. I'm trying to work out where I got those points on you. Wired Watkins and you've got Pedro, but you must have gained some points on me elsewhere because Watkins got five points. Edison, that maybe helps. There, Although you, have, you, have you got a city defender? Uh, no, I don't. I had Turner in goal. Okay. So yeah, we're, we're similar because of those two things. Um, but yeah, a similar thing with Havertz banking and um, uh, Saka being off penalties. And then yeah, the, the, the big one, isn't it, is having Gabriel instead of Saliva, which we both have. So if anyone's in the chat, this is a safe space. Uh, and I do actually, with that move, I've become a bit more, like on the evening when Saliba got that clean sheet and eight points, I was really frustrated. And I was thinking, oh, that's 11 points so far. And then the cost of a transfer as well, which is probably valued at around four points. So I was thinking, oh, that's 15 points. And at the end of the season, that's like, could be the difference between it being like 50K and 25K, for example. But yeah, the more I kind of, the more time there was, the more I became a bit more rational about that and realised actually your team goes down completely different routes. There's all sorts yeah. of things that changes it. It could even be this weekend. Like this weekend, I can't do. Uh, I think if I had Gabri- if I had Saliba, I'd likely be doing Watkins out this week. You know, this weekend, Watkins could get a couple of returns and suddenly it evens out. 
you know, you just don't know whether you can't directly compare it like that, can you? So if, if anyone's, exactly. if, anyone's if, the, if at the end of the season you're like 15 points off whatever rank it is you wanted to be, then yeah, you could directly look at that Saliba Gabriel difference. But as you've said yourself, there's a whole journey you're going to go on between then yeah. and now, which will be informed by a number of things, including Gabriel and Saliba and the decisions you'll make therein, for example. So like, yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe you go and do like Gabriel to Trippier a couple of weeks early now when you would have done it in like game week five and Trippier scores a free kick at the weekend and you earn half your points back instantly. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the thing. And if um, and also with Saliba, like now is actually, there's just so many defenders you would pick now ahead of him, in my opinion anyway. And we'll, we'll get to that as well. So it's not like we now think, oh, I've not got Saliba in my team because actually those looking to replace Gabriel or James are, actually going down a completely different route and you'll probably end up having a defender that... I mean, the Gabriel pick in the first place as well was basically because he was, even with cheap pricing, he was probably like 0.5 too cheap. Yeah. And in that Arsenal offence, like we thought he was nailed. I think, you know, I think it was hard to say he wasn't. wasn't. He'd played about 70 in a row. But also that, that, that XG threat that he had, you know, putting out something like 5 XG a season is pretty mighty and a fair bit more than Saliba, even if Saliba's also scored goals in the past. So that combination made him very attractive. Mm. I don't think it was necessarily, obviously with two minutes to the deadline, Gabriel to Saliba made a lot of sense. But if we'd known, say, halfway through the summer that Gabriel wasn't nailed in that team anymore, I don't think we'd all necessarily have gone straight for Saliba because it wasn't just about getting an Arsenal centre-back. We may have reconstructed back lines altogether. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, so there's, there's loads of reasons if you're a Gabriel owner to not be too disheartened about it and there's a very 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 long way to go so not to worry what did you make of the um the penalty situations did either of those surprise you because with Saka the, the Saka one did surprise me in terms of it going to Erdegaard and I think I think the reason it surprised me is because he scored his penalty in the penalty shootout in the community shield if he'd missed that I'd almost have been expecting it because he missed in pre-season and missed one last season or maybe two last season um whereas with Watkins um Watkins, I was expecting it more <laughs> compared to Saka, uh, to be honest. Like, it was more in my head that as soon as they won the penalty, because I was watching the game, I thought, yeah, he might well not take this. <laughs> Whereas, like, it really caught me off guard when suddenly Odegaard was taking that penalty for Arsenal. Yeah, I think Watkins people have been waiting for it, haven't they? Yeah. So even, yeah. um, even though you'd still rather he had penalties from a points perspective, like, yeah, him missing them is bad, you lose a couple of points, but you get so many more points for scoring them that he would have to miss. Uh, I think it was Chase put this out on Twitter or suggested it would be about 67%. Yeah. And you know, he's currently miss, missed five out of nine. Yeah. <laughs> and you would, you would expect that to tend more towards the average of like 0.75 as opposed to 10 further away from it, right? So him keeping them would have been good for him as an FPL option. You would have got more points. But I don't think that was a surprise to anyone. And it probably doesn't mm. kill his value too much. Like, yeah, slightly worse, but he's still a good striker who's still involved in a lot of the things they'll do. Saka is the more interesting one because... I think everyone was pretty confident on him being their taker. Yeah. Even if we were aware that if he wasn't their taker, his numbers kind of looked a lot less attractive. Mm. Off the top of my head, both him, Erdegaard and Martinelli are all on about 0.5 XGI per 90 from last season. And they're all on about 0.3 give or take XG in that. Mm. So it's a pretty similar spread in terms of Obviously, it's only one season's worth of data, especially under how Arteta was playing with Arsenal. So we can't run too far with it, but it's 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 a decent a decent prediction if we think they're going to be similar this year. That very roughly they're all the same sort of level of output in FPL. The thing we liked about Saka was the minutes, of course. Mm. 
And I think some people thought he could get better. Out of all of them, he was probably the one that could continue to step up his game. So maybe he edges towards 0.55, 0.6 this season or something. But the main thing was penalties. The other two, you know, XGI and non-pen XGI were the same thing because they didn't take penalties. Every now and again, Saka would get handed this massive 0.75 opportunity, which if you get a penalty, what, every six, five, six, Mm. seven, someone like that on, on average... That's going to take his 0.5 XG up to closer to like 0.7 or you know 0.65, something like that. It starts looking really, really healthy. And that's why I think he was everyone's preferred choice, especially with him being... Is he the same price as Erdegaard? is, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah. 8.5. Or at least the beginning of the season, yeah. Yeah, he probably should have been like 0.5 more. Obviously, Martinelli's 0.5 cheaper. Havertz is even cheaper, although I went there and uh, I think he's been good in real life, but not so much for FPL. No. <laughs> so him losing them would be quite a dent. But again, he's still a good option. And the thing is, we don't have clarity on that, do we? Because I think the comments afterwards where it wasn't an instruction from Arteta, mm. it was Saka giving it to Odegaard. Maybe they'd had a chat, I'm not sure. Mm. Which opens up the possibility that, yes, he might not take all of them, but he still, in theory, gets to choose if he takes them or not. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting that because you don't often hear of that. Because at that stage, it was nil-nil, wasn't it, when that happened? Uh, yeah, yeah, finished yeah, one nil. Finished one nil. Yeah, of course. So you know, you hear of that thing happening quite regularly, don't you? When a team's four nil up, or particularly for players on a hat trick, or they've not scored their first goal for the club, that's the kind of situation where you'd maybe even give it to a player like Havertz, for example. That'd have been lovely. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, if, if a player needs to get off the mark or um, they're low on comp, you know, a, a lot of teams will do that. You see it with um, the when Barcelona had Messi, Suarez, Neymar, basically whichever player hadn't scored would take it rather than the player on the hat-trick. So but it's just so unusual for it to be... So, yeah, in terms of what Arteta said about he gave it to him, I don't think we then... I don't, In my opinion, I don't think the conclusion is that Saka's still on penalties. Um, I think the default should be that it probably is now Erdegaard. But there's definitely... But, yeah, I think that's the default. I would say that more... I'd, I'd, go uh, the, I'd go the other way. Oh, interesting. I think... So, okay, sure. I, I mean, I guess it depends how you interpret it. Like, if, if this was, like, football manager, then I think my penalty taker would be Saka. But let's say in match, I can change that, right? So, like, you know, my default is Saka, but that doesn't mean he's always going to take it. Maybe there are situations where, mm. if I remember if I remember correctly as well, the quote from, I think it was Erdegaard, who said he asked for it, rather than Saka necessarily giving it to him. He asked for it, and then Saka gave it to him. Yeah. So maybe Erdegaard is particularly feeling it. Maybe they've had a chat beforehand in the dressing room and said, look, if, you know, if you're not fancying it, I'll take it, because mm. I want to be penalty taker. But I think the fact that Erdegaard didn't just take it you know demand it take it himself or make the decision it was Saka's p- uh, position to okay that especially with Erdogan being the captain on the pitch obviously I would default to Saka but if we're going to put it in percentage terms it's not more than 60-40 okay sure because I'm the, I'm the same but the other way so I think I, I would default to Erdogan now just because I think he's because he scored the last one I think it's more likely he has like the right to can take the next one, but yeah, I would say. So more. you're doing you're doing Saka to Odegaard with your. With your <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not. No. My my top recommended transfer on review. Have I, I buy a fair bit actually is Havertz to Odegaard. Same, yeah, presumably yeah, because you know it's going well. I guess Odegaard's either got penalties or at least you'll have both of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to know actually on review actually what percentage is set up within their algorithm in terms of who it's predicting. Um, but yeah, I would. I would be 60-40, but the other way. So it just depends how you read it. But either way, it's not a, it's not a big enough confidence to kind of switch between the two or anything at this stage. Um, and there's something else I was going to add there. Oh, yeah, in, in terms of how it impacts uh, Saka more, it's just it's just because you know that for the majority of the season, the likelihood is you're going to have two or three Arsenal players. And, so, and there are other really good alternatives, aren't there? 
Whereas like the chances are you're probably only going only gonna to have Villa players um, when they've got a good run of fixtures. Um, when it comes to attacking yeah. Villa players, he's the one, isn't he? Um, oh, apart, yeah, I mean, it, apart from I mean, the midfield. But... Is, is always the... Like, look at Mbumo. That's where... Mm. He's, he's had some decent open play XG as well. Yeah, yes. But so far his points have come from him being the sort of minutes replacement for Tony, even if not literally tactically the replacements, yeah. and then the penalty replacement. So I think there's a very good chance because of his price, we just hold Mbumo all the way through. But if Brentford came up with a lovely run of fixtures, it's where you're going immediately, right? Yeah, yeah. Same with like Palace, Eze, uh, involved in everything they do, takes penalties, going to get 90 minutes. Those are the players that we immediately are attracted to in FPL. Yeah, 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 definitely. Whereas, you know, but I just think with Watkins, with Villa, I think you're just going to go to Watkins anyway, even if he's not on penalties, because he's kind of like the talisman. For, yeah. In, in I guess if they'd gone team. to like, because it's Douglas Louise, isn't it? So if they'd yeah. gone to like, if they'd gone to like Leon Bay or Diaby or something, then yeah, maybe you could make that change. But I guess you're not going to go to Douglas Louise unless we're in a Brighton situation where they've got, you know, two doubles in three and you get your, you get your goalkeeper, you get your Watkins and then you go, oh, maybe I'll just go for minutes and penalties in Douglas Louise or something like that. Yeah. 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 Nice. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one, but we'll see how it pans out. Um, I guess the other thing, thing I wanted to discuss more generally before we get into the the main topics, which are who you replace, who your replacements are for Gabriel and James and kind of discussing forwards was just when to make transfers because there's just so many people hit this week and you see it generally earlier in the season where people move early on transfers because of predicted price falls etc um and i guess my my and i guess it's always a case of you get more information if you wait later and there's also a lower risk of a player getting injured um but also team value you might thank yourself for later in the season or particularly early, earlier in the season where it's all done by 0.5s and a player dropping by one it can be really significant because that means you either afford them or you can't um, yeah, but in, I suppose in in would you be tempted to go early on a player this week? And in, in general, is that something you tend to do, or are you generally the kind of person who waits till as late as possible to make transfers? So I've I've entirely flipped in my time playing FPL. I used to be massively beholden to prices. Really, <laughs> and I think I think I think there's a few reasons for this. Firstly, you love money. There's yeah, just just <laughs> need that. I mean, I'm only here because you're paying me the big dollars, so. <laughs> um no i think like i think firstly there's that emotional mm. like i'm being asked to make a decision so like one of the often a lot of the thing like one of the things in gaming when we're looking at that stuff is like um if you put something on the screen that demands attention or action from the player they are much more likely to obviously take that action i know that sounds obvious because you're presenting them with it but then you can still have it available but not put it in their face or whatever so mm. Uh, you know, if you're asking, if someone's aware that price changes are a thing and that, you know, they can play this game, but then if I'm aware of like FPL statistics or whatever you're using as your price change prediction, I know that that night a price change is going to happen. Mm. Rationally or not, that's going to weigh massively in my decision making because I've made it available to, available to myself and it suddenly feels like this big thing. So emotionally, I was probably quite susceptible to like, oh, I'm being asked to make a decision. Therefore, I must make a decision when really I could have just not. I could have waited. I think another part of it was probably earlier in my FPL career, maybe thinking that like gaining an edge on transfer value was quite a good thing. You know, come to the end of the season, especially when playing with my family, I'd have like, you know, two million more than 
my mini league and so that was worth one million in terms of buying players mm. that might be the difference between having like you know your lampard and gerard team or whatever it was back then which was quite big which then leads me on to i guess the third point which is if the game has changed so that players are a bit more affordable there's less there's less need to choose between say the lampard and gerard now because you can have both yeah. then maybe transfer value itself is less valuable and therefore we can wait we can afford to take a few drops I think the one counter against that early in the season, uh, which is what you alluded to there, is that while prices are all in increments of 0.5, a 0.1 change might as well be a 0.5 change mm. until there's a few more changes and you know, we can start evening that up. So that definitely puts the pressure on to think, you know, that first change, you're like, oh, should I, should I, should I try and grab it? Should I try and avoid it? So that my plans in five weeks still work because I need that nice round number to say buy Trippier for Gabriel, which you know I can't do now if I, yeah. if I don't also find some money elsewhere. So it can definitely be tempting. But in the last couple of seasons, I've had more success being patient. Maybe yeah. it's because of the rise of leaks and information, or maybe our, just our ability to analyze that information, like Luke, for example. What's yeah. worth more to me? Saving 0.1 on Foden or finding out if there's a good chance he plays or not? Yeah. Well, definitely the latter. But in previous years, when we didn't have that piece of information available, maybe the 0.1 was worth it. Yeah. And I just think as well, sort of what I used to, not quite to the, same, the same as you, I wouldn't do really early transfers, but I used to do earlier transfers if my player wasn't playing midweek, um, the player I was bringing in. But then I've realised now that, you know, I've not done that the last couple of years either. I've always done them late because it's not just that player that might get injured. So say, for example, this week, you definitely wanted to remove Watkins for Jackson um, and you thought, right, Watkins has got through the game last night. I'm just going to do the transfer. Sorry, that doesn't make sense. Um, say you were bringing Watkins in. I know you obviously wouldn't be doing that this week. Um, you might think, oh, Watkins got through the game, so I'll bring him in this week. Um, but actually, it could be another random defender or keeper in your team who's suddenly injured and you find out in a press conference and suddenly that's a minus four that costs you because you have to do another transfer, whereas you'd now have been better to roll and just fix the the injured player in your team. So it's not just the player you're bringing in that might get injured. There's so much more. Then on top of that, it's not just potential injuries. It's like you said, it's information about lineups. Um, you might just change your mind with more, more time to think is generally better. I think as long as you don't leave it too close to the deadline when you might be more likely to overthink it's generally yeah, you, having you know, more time is better. I think that's something I'm now susceptible to myself, almost in like the opposite, the opposite way. I am now very happy to leave my decisions really late and kind of be forced to just not vibe one because, you know, you've narrowed it down to two that are both good options, mm. but then vibe just between, say, those two, yeah. as opposed to like, may, maybe it's just a consequence of, you know, leaving things later and allowing price changes and stuff to happen to get as much information as possible. But say, for example, this week where I've got Gabriel, Havertz, Pedro, who are probably my viable transfers, not necessarily because I want to lose each one of them, but because, say, the replacements, obviously, Gabriel maybe needs to leave. Well, I'm kind of all right to hold. Havertz, I would have lost anyway next week, probably. And he's been disappointing from an FPL point of view, yeah. even though hopefully, I think real life, he's been all right. Um, and then Pedro again, because the plan to lose. And the replacement for him is, is spicy. It's, it's Jackson, so I like that. In early years, maybe I'm making that decision earlier in the week based on price changes. Now, I want to wait based on information. We get a Chelsea lineup on Friday night, so that's a bit of nice confirmation. we we'll probably get a lineup to, you know, to make sure Jackson is playing. But also, I totally know that I'm maybe just going to be sat here at 6.15 or whatever it is going like, oh, well, at least now I can, in my head, use the excuse that, oh, well, you rushed at the deadline. It's fine. <laughs> if you've made the wrong decision, you can let yourself off. I, don't, I have not articulated that well, but I think there is a, there's a temptation now for me to go the opposite way, right, and just leave it to the last minute and kind of use that as my escape. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I kind of, kind of related to this as well. I saw a tweet from today from FPL Raptor. For those who don't know, Ross is... 
either doing a PhD or just finished, I can't remember, in, in psychology. So that's his trade. And he talked about something called action bias, which is where if you're unsure whether to do or to not do something, most people have an action bias and the more to do the thing. So for example, transferring the player rather than role, uh, because and you, most people have a bias towards that. Whereas actually I think that I'm the opposite of most people and I'm like really, right. I'm too much a scaredy cat with FPL and I'm more likely to, I often tend to miss out on points because I'm too reluctant to make a change. And I sometimes, I sometimes overvalue rolling a transfer. I wonder if you bring like sort of. I get big. Uh, I get big FOMO with transferring out players. Like even this week. Yeah. Like, so you bring uh, like loss aversion into that, where like you'd rather not lose than win. Yeah, yeah. I do that too often. So for example, yeah. I'll say so with next. If for example I didn't have a fight battle this week, which I do with Gabriel, like one of my moves might be. Well, you mentioned Havertz to Erdegaard earlier. Like that, the idea of that move for me is awful, particularly because they're in the same team. Because I just straight my my brain just goes to well, Havertz is going to score a trick. <laughs> and even though I know logically that probably won't happen I just like that I tend to focus too much on what's going to happen with the player I'm taking out but yeah I just thought but what do you think about sideways moves like that because I guess that's something we've talked about in the past which is yeah. the idea of you know say Havertz to Foden mm. feels probably a little bit sexier than Havertz to Odegaard for many reasons potentially but mm. one of the main reasons might be well I'm just moving from Arsenal to Arsenal as opposed to Arsenal to City now that's that's changing my team up yeah but it's a bias isn't it because actually if Odegaard if you think Erdegaard's going to get the same amount of points as Foden or slightly more, you should go to Erdegaard. But yeah, it, it feels weird. There's like a bias in our heads because it's the same team and it's the same fixture. Uh, but yeah, I just think I think that's really interesting. Um, I've not read Ross's book actually. I'll have to have to read it because he's got a whole book about like the psychology of FPL and I've heard him talking yeah, a podcast about it. And um, it's, it's just yeah. it's just it's really interesting a lot of that stuff. But yeah, it, that relates a lot to wanting to go early with transfers as well i think like i think some people psychologically they want to get it out of the way other people like you want to leave it late so there's there's good or bad reasons to be, do both those things but in general i would value waiting later for more information if anyone's interested in that subject thinking fast and slow by daniel kahneman is an amazing read on our like natural human biases and why those were a great thing until we started doing things like having to make decisions that were better made by mathematics and things like that uh you know we're great at avoiding getting hit by a car with our instincts because that's something our brains have evolved to do keep us safe in the outside world even the modern world you know a car might as well be a wild animal whatever we're great at that we're really really bad at say making financial decisions mm. because we didn't evolve to do that or whatever and often we'll bring those biases in and then we'll make the wrong decision and like fpl is super relevant in that sense um I think uh, in in Raptor's book, he talks a lot about the, the biases and the way, so like you mentioned, uh, sort of an action bias or like availability heuristic is mm. a big one for us. Uh, framing, uh, uh, who got the assist? Uh, Tom, the podcast often talk about like framing. So like, you know, you can frame one player in two different ways and it really flavors how you should, yeah. uh, how you should you know consider them. It's like, you know, oh, this player, this, this aging striker who's uh, not scored in his last two matches and plays for a bottom half club, blah, blah, blah. Or you could describe the same player in like this player who's in the peak of their career has got this great history behind them. Hasn't scored in the last two, but has five in seven because they scored, you know, well before that. And it's just the same player, but it's just how you frame that information. We are so susceptible to that stuff that I think trying to overcome, trying to overcome that sort of way of interacting with FBL or anything life is a really valuable tool. And the takeaway is that you can't overcome it. It's how our brains work, but you can be aware of it and therefore hopefully make better decisions and of course the best way to do that is fpl right that's you know, if you can overcome your biases <laughs> the most profitable way to to employ that is fpl naturally yeah 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 um 
Yeah, definitely. And I think um, it, it's being aware of them. But actually, this is where I find analytics really helpful as well, because it just ob it gives you an objective measure for these things. So, so again, before I used to kind of use analytics, I would kind of I would literally write down like pros and cons or compare two players or this player's got higher XG or with this player plays at home, better fixture. But like trying to weigh up those things. And in the end, I'd actually know, I probably before I wrote the list, I'd know which one I want. But I would kind of write the list to focus on the things that I wanted to. I'd pick out the things that, do you know what I mean? But when you actually can see a number put on it and that, and it, particularly when there's, I mean, when there's a big difference, it then helps you to actually understand what it does actually mean in terms of predicted points. We've um, all adjusted X mins until we get the points I still do that, yeah. that we want, right? We, still, <laughs> we get the EV one. We go, see, Ruby, you told me to do it. And it's like, mate, you've set Jao Pedro to 95. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, I've done that plenty of times. Um, <laughs> and then I go back onto review and I forget to do the uh, reload X mins. I have it on yes still and I've completely adjusted something. <laughs> yes, I had that the other day. Was I, I think I texted you? Well, was it? first looking at Gabrielle yeah and I think it was telling yeah I, I can't remember what it was I'd, I'd adjust them down to like 22 just to make <laughs> it ask me to replace him and then I text you being like oh my goodness it's telling me to do like Robertson it was like yeah that's because you've said Gabrielle isn't going to play any football <laughs> yeah um cool I just thought it'd be cool to have a bit more of a wider chat about those things because we've only got a couple of things to discuss now which shouldn't take too long really because um we're only really chatting through um basically potential replacements for Gabrielle and James and whether you switch around your forwards because a lot of people have Pedro or might have Watkins. Um, but I suppose initially just to discuss fixtures and what's changing. Um, for, sorry, for those listening, you can see the, the fixture um, fixture ticker here. Um, I guess there's just a cute few key things that are coming up um, at the moment. So to pick out a couple first, Man United have got Forest this week, but then they've got Arsenal and Brighton. So just on that, I would mention just, I think it's mad, absolutely insane to sell Bruno or Rashford. And I think there might be a temptation there because they blanked twice, but I think you keep them and they then become sellable next week. Whether they score or not this week, they're sellable next week. Um, and there's just a really interesting swing which will tie into our conversation around forwards and defenders around Newcastle because their fixtures are so brilliant, but from game week five. Um, and so it's just whether it's a couple of week, game weeks too early to bring in those players. Because if you looked at review and set the EV for like the next 12 game weeks, they, loads of Newcastle players would be a lot higher up. Um, but we need to consider the short term as well because of, in general, valuing more um, immediate fixtures because anything can happen in terms of injuries, but also particularly at this time in the season when you could wildcard at any time as well. Um, so yeah, I think just based on this fix, bringing up these fixtures there with the two teams I kind of wanted to highlight. Is, is there anything else that kind of stands out to you this game week in terms of swings, Seb, or in the next couple of weeks? I think we're, we're probably just before our first swing, aren't we? So mm. that 3-4 period was... If all had gone to plan, I was looking at doing, over this period, Jao Pedro to Jackson, which may well be a move I'll make. Mm. Havertz to Richarlison. Maybe that would now be Madison or, or neither, of course, but that was the original Game Week 1 plan. Right. And then a couple of weeks later, which I think looking at this Game Week 5 might be the time to do it, Gabriel would have become Trippier. And I had left 1.5 in the bank to do that. And I couldn't have done all of that because Jao Pedro to Jackson is the 1.5. So I couldn't also have done Gabriel to Trippier. But the idea was that I would have that choice to make. I could either improve the attack or the defense in terms of fixtures, maybe based on if Jao Pedro was getting the minutes I predicted, for example. If he'd just been benched all, all two matches so far, that would have made my decision for me. Obviously, like a fool, I, uh, I ignored the Gabriel news, which put me behind. And then I started with James. I was actually quite happy with, and I'd do it again, the James and Chilwell start, because I knew I'd want that triple Chelsea if I could in game week three a way of doing it 
without having to commit to too many transfers, was starting with a couple of them, not just Chilwell. Uh, the original team, before we had the leaks and I moved around my defence, had both of them on the bench as well, so I could have carried them in the first couple of weeks. And ultimately, as ultimately as well, as we've seen a bit with Chilwell, I think James and Chilwell are some of those players that, if fit, which is the rub with James, can give you points in almost any match. Like They are often very good options with great fixtures and good enough options with decent fixtures. And if you've got, you know, okay fixtures building up to good fixtures, I was happy to hold them and have Jackson be the thing I would decide on. So in terms of looking at the fixtures here, I still think it's those those two big swings and those players we're talking about that we'd mostly pay attention to. Yeah. There's an Aston Villa one a little bit later, and that's maybe where the wild card comes in. Because mm-hmm. Man City go from, you know, this wonderful run, you can see mostly green there, to Arsenal, Brighton, which depends on your opinion of Brighton there as well. In theory, that looks like an easy fixture based on the colour coding here, but it could be a little bit harder if you mm. if you value them more highly. But Arsenal, Brighton, Man United, Bournemouth fine, but then Chelsea. And I think even beyond that, there's another tough fixture. So there's a there's an okay argument to go your wild cards and Man City out, your maybe wild cards and Arsenal out, if you've still got them, although their harder fixtures come a little bit earlier. And you're moving to the likes of like triple Newcastle, maybe going back to Aston Villa with Watkins, which is one of the reasons I didn't start with Watkins. Mm. I figured if I didn't want him in the first couple of weeks, which is when I wanted Jao Pedro, I wouldn't want him again until about game week eight. So I was able to go there with a wild card was, was the thinking. Yeah. And actually on that Man City run, particularly, it's such a shame that Kane's left the game <laughs> just because that's the perfect, it would have been such yeah. a nice switch. Yeah. Because he's got Luton, Fulham, Palace. And I think that would, I imagine that would be an excuse me, would have ended up being a switch that plenty of people did, but so many people would have been worried about that just because it's losing Haaland. Um, looking still, looking so. at it, is there, because is, I agree that def, Haaland to Kane would have been lovely even yeah. without a wild card. Yeah. But is there now an argument for Mo Salah, if he's still here? <laughs> In the week that Man City have got Brighton, they've got Everton, Forest, then Forest, Luton, Brentford. Oh, yeah. It's not quite as good, but it's a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that definitely could be a popular switch. Uh, if you wildcard around that time, that's obviously easier to do, and you just need to make sure you've got that switch back. Yeah. It's just the fact it t- costs two you transfers. Could a team, you could even plan a team that ends up with both. Yeah. So you could you could wildcard into like no city, a defender, maybe you're getting Trent, maybe you're not, mm. Salah, and maybe one of the other midfielders, maybe you could take a gamble there. And if you give yourself maybe a little, little bit of a couple of million left over, who else could you bring in here? So like Newcastle, Isak. Uh, there's not really any Manchester United. Oh, maybe yeah, Rashford. Madison. We got rid of Rashford, so save that money. Madison, and then Butler. yeah, maybe move a move a Jackson or something, which you know, from your wild guards to save those funds back up to back up to a Haaland and bit. You'd have to make a sacrifice, but it might not need to be Salah. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see if that is popular. If Salah is still here, which that, that kind of like took me back when I saw that news this afternoon. But um, I agree with what you tweeted actually about the fact that if. If it's a crazy bid, it makes sense for Liverpool to sell, but it would have been made sense earlier in the window, wouldn't it? When they probably yeah. not got time for a replacement. And it seems from what I've read or from what people are saying now, it actually sounds like it's a very likely move just next summer, probably in reality instead. Yeah, I uh, think it's honest. laying yeah. the work both yeah. between the clubs and maybe in the public's mind that next summer. Because you can start, whether they literally have to like put a narrative out there or they just allow the narrative machine to do it themselves, but they qualify for Champions League they start looking at how they would replace him. He's a year older. He's got a year less on the contract, which is massive. It's like 350k a week. Yeah. If the Saudi Arabian team will still give them about 100 million, not only can you have had some really good plans in place to use that 100 million and the, and actually the bigger amount is the 350k wages you'd save. That adds up to much more than 100 million in terms of trying to construct a squad for the long term. 
Um, but also you've had a year to kind of help massage that narrative that Salah's getting on in his career. Mane, Firmino have both left. It is time to move on. It's time to rebuild Liverpool. He's got us Champions League. That's brilliant. That's a great time to leave it. You know, he's getting on. He's done. He's done his thing. Mm. I guess if he went this week, not only does that maybe come, even though I think it could still make good sense, it comes more as a shock to especially Liverpool fans who, you know, aren't going to be prepared for this. But as a club, it just gives you no time to yeah. reorganise what you're going to do with that right-hand side, whether you have 100 million to do it with or not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't guarantee the player's going to be available. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and like you said, someone like Ben Doak will be a year older as well, right? So he's very, very talented. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, <laughs> bit off topic there, but it just definitely, it's definitely interesting. And it would, it's, it would completely, if he did actually go like in the next week, it would be mad to have a game where you've, you've literally out, just got just money wouldn't matter yeah you just got Haaland I mean most of us don't have Salah now anyway I guess and yeah. actually at the moment and money, and money doesn't matter, matter. <laughs> but yeah but the fact that it would just stay the same and there would never be a re- reason to have two premiums because there would interesting be no captaincy premium. because then there really would be like you just always captain Haaland even mm. like what would it take to not captain Haaland Fernandez to have Luton and Haaland to have someone like Sato Champions Forest. League or up yeah <laughs> yeah and that's nuts yeah, I've only ca- ca- captained Haaland 50% of the time this season, I remember, so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably 37 out of 38 game weeks in the end, though. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. With Saka, with Saka, if he does lose penalties, would you go to... So say that, say there's a week where Arsenal captaincy is the one. Yeah. See if I can spot one here. Uh, game week 10, Sheffield United at home for Arsenal, Man City, Man United away. Game week 12, Burnley at home for Arsenal, Chelsea away. So I don't think those are slam dunks. Like I can definitely see a world where Haaland scores a hat-trick against Man United at Old Trafford because I think that's happened. I think he did last season, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But in theory, you know, okay, Salah's there with Forrest, so you probably would have gone there. But let's say Salah's gone. If you're looking at an Arsenal asset, maybe, you know, they're probably going to have the highest EV that week. Mm. But is it now harder to pick because Saka isn't necessarily definitely on penalties? And unless you believe Erdegaard definitely is, you can't captain two players and hope for either, can you? Yeah, I think even if you know Odegaard's on penalties, I'm just not that convinced. Um, this is based on a, I had a conversation with Danny, who's bullets on on Twitter, and he was saying even though although even though last season their kind of underlying data is really similar, actually it could be that Odegaard's not playing the same role this year anyway. Particularly with Havertz coming in, and he's more advanced of the midfielders. It could be that we don't see that continue to happen um, if they continue to say play the system, but. You know, time will tell. We'll find out, I guess. Um, at the moment, if I was wildcarding now, or if we could just do a complete reset, um, and say next week, and Erdogan took a penalty this weekend, and we knew he was on them, I would go with Erdogan for sure. But it would be yeah. interesting to see if he if he is as similar as the other two in terms of underlying data this season for nine. I mean, if anyone is wildcarding now, I think you probably just have Saka and Erdogan because yeah. you know we've mm-hmm. probably all got Saka and Martinelli or Saka and yeah. uh, Havertz, so you just you just go with both of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I guess this all ties into kind of what we're going to discuss next. So, we, I mean, I think most people have these same two dilemmas. There'll be the odd person maybe transferring out a midfielder to get Foden, for example. Um, if I just move on to this next slide. So I've, what I've done here is just a list of, um, for those listening, it's a list of defenders down the left-hand side who are potential viable replacements for James or Gabriel, or both, <laughs> depending what position you're in. Um you can then see next to that their their team's non-penalty XG conceded last season. So I've just included last season's data because two games, in my opinion, doesn't need, mean a lot. And we can interpret that ourselves if we think a defence has massively improved based on new manager this season. And it looks like that from the first two games, then you have to just account for that. But that's just there for now. Um, 
did their non-pedal DXGI over the last 365 days. Don't know why I put 365 days and not one year, actually, now I think about it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you it's ask... Uh, that's FB ref, isn't it? They yeah, it is, the, it is. It's 365 days, isn't it? It's, it's, not, it's like when you ask uh, like a parent how old their baby is and they're like, oh, uh, 20, 26 months. <laughs> <laughs> and you ought to be like, well, they're two. Um, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, and then they're X-Mins and then that's their EV from game week three to seven. The reason that I've concluded those five game weeks, this is based on FBL Review who... Yeah, he's given us permission to share this data just so um, just so people know. Um, I've included those five game weeks because we think game week eight might be a time when people potentially wildcard. So that's why I've done five game weeks. So you can see their EV over those five games, but you might disagree with the expected minutes there. And they're ordered by expected, uh, ordered by that EV as well. So potential points over those five games. And unsurprisingly, Chilwell is top. Um, and that would be the first thing I would say on this is if you have the money for Chilwell, which you might not do if you're just taking out Gabriel and you didn't have any money in the bank. But if you have the money for him and you don't have him like straight away, he's the player you go for, particularly with the next three fixtures. Um, you agree with that, Seb, I presume? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much discussion needed there. Sure was a great pick, get him. Yeah, and then, the, but the second one's interesting. The second one's trickier on that list, but this is over the next five game weeks. But the interesting thing is when you look at the breakdown over the game weeks, is most of that EV comes in game weeks five, six, and seven. So actually... And uh, yeah, do you go for him? Because there will be some people that can't afford him. And I happen to be one of those people because I unfortunately had James and Gabriel. Did James to Gusto now have loads of money in the bank? And so I could actually go from Gabriel to Trippier. And I, I, it's something I considered. And on review, it's one of, the, one of the things it's recommending in like the top three or four options. So it's viable. And it probably saves me a transfer later down the line. It's just whether it's worth that short-term probable loss in points over the next couple of game weeks. Um yeah, and, so, and there's probably a discussion there around when Champions League comes in, whether we do see rotation, because our Champions League for Newcastle is so massive, and I just don't see a world where Trippier doesn't start six Champions League games. Um, but And they've got Livermento, is that right? He's right back, isn't Yeah, he? they have. That's a really good point, actually. I don't think I'd thought about that. So I was going to say, like, mm. agree with you on Trippier, like, brilliant option. If you could, you'd wait a couple of weeks. People like me and you could go early with Gabriel, although mm. because of the price change, I would now price myself out of Pedro to Jackson, so I'm not sure of that. So maybe just another Newcastle defender. But on the topic of another Newcastle defender, that's a really good point. I had not thought about Champions League because he was so nailed last year. Sure, he yeah, got yeah. subbed off at the end of games, but that's probably one of the reasons he was nailed to start because they were able to manage just 20 minutes here and there. Mm. So let's assume they had to manage 20 minutes here and there as opposed to just being a preference to make sure he could start every game. But if he's playing at least six more games in midweeks, half of which are the other side of Europe, yeah, there's probably some benchings there. Like, I don't think... I think if they could, they'd start him in every Premier League game as well. But they do now have Livermento as an option, who's been out injured, obviously, previously for a long time. So it's not like he's ready to go and play 38 matches. But yeah, I think that's a really good shout. I think you get, you probably get, even if it's just one benching, it could be really awkward because like with often defenders, it's going to be against maybe a weaker team where you'd want them in your rotation to be starting that fixture because your bench defender might not have as good one. Mm. So even though it might just be one match, it could really throw a bit of a spanner in the works and cost you like, you know, what, three to four, yeah. maybe, if we're just thinking the clean sheet, which is an interesting one. I don't think it should put you off completely. What it should probably do is make mean you have a bench, right? Yeah, and also we just know in general that's more likely to happen in an easier fixture as well. Yeah. And yeah, Livermento plays on that side. So, I suppose a counter-argument is that we know Trippier can play left-back. Um 
because he's Although they've got they've got Hall they've got Lewis Hall they've got Lewis. now. So yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think he would unless there were some weird injury things. I don't think Trippier would end up at left back. At sure, point. I guess it's unlikely, but I, it's still a possibility because we know he can play there for England. And if if yeah, if it's Dan Byrne that needs the rest, you would expect that Lewis Hall comes in. I guess, but I guess you just never know, do you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's something to consider with Trippier, and I kind of want to see when is the first Champions League game. I'm just trying to think. Because they got have they got qualifying rounds mid September usually um, off the top of my head like second week of September yeah but they're not going did they have a last round where did Newcastle finish last year third uh, uh, there's that's right yes that's right the draw is is the draw I should know this I've thought, is the draw the day after the transfer window closes or the day the transfer window closes something like something, that which is like next week mm. which means the first matches will be the week after or like yeah I think they'll either be a week after or like a full week after yeah. So that's just I'll something. I'll have a very quick look here. If it's, I can. it's probably even more reason to not go straight to him, isn't it? Not just these immediate two fixtures, but in in three or four game weeks' time, we'll probably have an idea. If he suddenly bench for a league game, you just avoid him, to be honest. Um, but it's just so interesting when you look at that, just how attacking is. Like over the last year, he's got more or almost not point not one less non non penalty xgi per ninety ah. than Trent. <laughs> just, Chat say nineteenth to twentieth of September. Cool. So. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Thank Which would be the week after the international break, I believe. So that kind of makes quite a bit of sense. Ah, uh, cool. And the draws on the 31st of August. Thanks, Dan. And Emil. Yeah, um, Yeah, so I guess that potential rotation, even though some new, I don't know, it'd be interesting to chat to a Newcastle fan about it. I, mean, it's, I guess it's a bit of an unknown, yeah. but it'd be, it'd be helpful to know a bit more about that before committing to him. Um, so it's probably uh, a reason I'd be tempted to... by like Shah or, mm. I mean, we've got Botman here. Obviously he's much further down because he just doesn't, provide that same sort of attacking threat that Trippier does although Trippier's numbers last year were a lot higher than a lot of the rest of his career which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing you know he's obviously a big part of how Newcastle play and he's capable of it and he did it for a whole year um but I think for Botman really you're just going for the the cheaper price and higher x-mins is probably not necessarily fair but maybe if we think Trippier is liable to rest the centre-backs maybe a little bit less so mm. uh, and then a player we don't have here who would tempt me who has is cheaper sure. than Trippier which is a big big thing for me because as I mentioned it might put me 0.1 short of being able to get the striker I want is Dunburn is Fabian Sharp yeah. Dunburn yeah <laughs> and to be fair at one point last season he was decent if I remember I had him for a couple of game weeks actually oh again mate <laughs> but yeah um, yeah Fabian Sharp for me because he also comes with some nice yeah. set-piece headed threat which is yeah. which is a nice mix between the cheapness of Botman and the uh the attacking threat of Trippier, right? Yeah, someone's asking why Charles not on the list, just for sake of room, to be honest. <laughs> trying to fit a lot of people on there, and I, I included Botman just because he was the cheaper, uh, the cheaper one. And in my head, that was the route I'd be more likely to go if I was saving money. Because actually, Botman's attacking threat is a bit underrated as well. Like zero point one isn't bad at all. Like you might expect him to get three or four goal involvements in a season. But yeah, Charles definitely got the better, better attacking. Charles had zero point one four xg per ninety last season. Zero point nine x cool so he's about double bound, bound so, yeah. double bottom uh slightly more uh, but, but also i guess at those at those low numbers we're obviously quite susceptible to a couple of big chances here and there mm. and you know 0.1 xg per 90 becomes 0.15 and suddenly it's a lot closer yeah yeah so the reason charles not on the list is just because <laughs> not having room um but yeah he's definitely an option and probably him and bottom are, are more likely to be the route do you go down if you go there initially I don't know, but it depends how you read that situation with Trippier, so that's just something to keep an eye on, I guess. But in my opinion, yeah, probably slightly too early to go to those Newcastle assets now um, with the immediate two fixtures. Um, yeah, the next on that list is Diaz over the next five game weeks. This is my likely transfer in for Gabriel, I think. Um, 
I think with Stones being out particularly, and in general Diaz being the most nailed City defender, um, I think that's probably likely where I'm going to go. And he's got very little attacking threat, but it's just that more that likelihood of clean sheets um, that I like with him. But I don't think there's that much to say about Diaz. You kind of know what you're getting, I guess. And yeah, I, I chat to Luke about this today actually, and he thinks yeah, as, as far as he's concerned, he's kind of as nailed as a City def- a player can be. You know that he could always be randomly benched because that can happen, but he'd feel pretty confident he plays all these. Five games. In fact, I don't know if he yeah, said that. Best, I'm going to put. I'm going to. I'm going to put those, <laughs> gonna, yeah, put those yeah. words in his mouth. Luke says, "Pick the ass, everyone." He, he guarantees. Uh, yeah. Guarantees uh, he'll play ninety minutes in all the games. Um, I, I, th- I think that's fair. I probably should have done Gabriel to Diaz last week. Uh, I didn't because I've got Edison, and I was a little bit worried about having Edison, Diaz, Harland, and therefore not being able to get like if the transfer window shut, no one else would come in. Foden was looking amazing, and maybe wanted access to that midfield spot. But on reflection, Gabriel to Diaz saved myself a price drop that's now happened on Gabriel. This week, do uh, I guess that would have been James to Gusto this week, so I still would have suffered a price drop to be fair. Mm. Um, but I would have had longer term assets, and then yeah, maybe play Gusto this week because I benched him last week, so I think I probably did those the long way around. And now I maybe feel like I'm should look beyond the ass, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, interesting one. Um, yeah, and I guess in relation to that, Aki and Gvardiol, I've been surprised to see a lot of people go to Gvardiol already. Just don't think there's. We just don't know a lot about his minutes yet, basically, and he doesn't have that extreme high upside. I don't think in terms of attacking either. Um, uh, that maybe people think he does. I don't know. Maybe it's not that. Maybe just just it's his price. The fact he's quite cheap. That he's only five. That some people are going there, or with Stones being out. But he's very much like competing with Ake. It feels like, or can be competing with Ake because they can both play some of the same positions. Um, so I just feel a bit nervous. I feel like if you can just spend that extra 0.5 for Diaz, you might as well do that at this stage rather than go for Ake or Vardiol. Yeah, I think that's fair. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Alexander Arnold's on this list. I don't think anyone is realistically considering him at all or has the money to do that. But I just thought he's always an option <laughs> in general if you happen to have the spare money. Maybe this this season of any seasons is the season in terms of money where someone might randomly go for him because they have a load of money in the bank and it's him or... Um, uh, yeah, an, an, an alternative that's far cheaper, um, and you might be willing to pay a lot more, a lot more money for just a little more EV this season, more than any other potentially. Um, so I included in there, but I don't think any of us are really realistically expecting <laughs> people are realistically bringing in Trent this week. Um, and yeah, I thought Zinchenko was interesting. So he was actually he's actually higher than Saliba. So I mentioned earlier that probably a lot of us who have got Gabriel aren't making that switch to Saliba. But if people are making that switch, not this game week, but the next game week, and Zinchenko plays like. 90 minutes this weekend, suddenly Zinchenko probably becomes the more interesting um, option than Saliba because of how regularly he's liked to play. Um, uh, it, I mean, it's not he's not nearly as nailed as Saliba, but it's just that extra attacking threat he has in comparison. Um, Do you think the attacking threat is... So only looking at these numbers, 0.15, yeah. uh, non-pen XGI per 90 there, I would assume a lot of that is from assist threat assist, rather than yeah. goal threat, but yeah. that is an assumption. Mm. So if we get a centre-back who has, say, 0.11, like Ake and Gavardiel, but most of that comes from goal threat, I would argue they are the better FPL option. Mm. So do we actually think we're being lulled in by the fact that Zinchenko will invert and therefore is a midfielder, sort of, but isn't actually necessarily getting any closer to getting attacking points than a centre-back? Yeah, yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, I just think if Zinchenko, particularly, particularly the start of the season they've had, where they've actually 
I mean, they've done well in terms of results. Arsenal have probably not performed as well as you'd like, as they'd have liked to. It'd be if Zinchenko comes straight back in and they wouldn't really comfortably, I just feel like he's going to play regularly and it might be worth going there. But I, would, I definitely wouldn't be doing it this week. Yeah, For me, the one is if Zinchenko comes back in and that theory of that being why Gabriel's not playing because they're inverting <laughs> from the right, it means Zinchenko can invert from the left. Gabriel comes straight back in because he can play left centre-back when they when they build up in a three. If that happens, maybe my problem is solved. Let's keep Gabriel. Well, Zinchenko comes in and Gabriel doesn't play, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I would hate that, but I'm open to it because at least that's a really good piece of information. At that point, I think Gabriel yeah. becomes a hard sell because then, then we just have nothing to go on on what his minutes are going to be. It, you know, Arteta can say he's going to play loads, but we have no real way of predicting when that loads is going to happen. So I am clutching to this Jinchenko thing as some sort of predictive power. If that goes away, fine. I think we just need to fall on the Gabriel sword fully at that point. And it's, yeah, it's worth mentioning here with Zinchenko. His X-Men's there are, that's for the next five game weeks in terms of like as an average, that's how that's displayed. Whereas actually the reason that's maybe a bit lower than you'd expect is because it's, it's probably more like, I don't know, 50 minutes or 55 minutes or something for this coming game week where we don't know if he's going to make a sub-appearance or start. So actually it's probably more like from next game week going to be more nearer to 80 or something. Um, but yeah, the, it's in general, just looking at how close a lot of these players are, particularly in that bracket from like 20 down to like 17, for example, within three V over five game weeks, it shows how many options there are, to be honest, because it just depends how you read the minutes. Because there'll be people who listen to us now and they think, oh no, I think Guardiola's going to play all five of these games. And suddenly his Exmans, instead of being 65, are like 80 or 85, and he becomes a no-brainer. There'll be other people who think that, um, yeah, what we've just said about Zinchenko is nonsense and it's just too risky to think he's going to play regularly and, and therefore he's not an option. So it really depends. And if you use review, it's just every, we say it every week, but you need to adjust the expected minutes yourself because that's the biggest edge you can have if you're um, really confident on doing that and do your do your research. Um, yeah, Luke, Luke Shaw's on here as well, but in reality with United's next two fixtures after this week, I don't think he's really someone you should bring in, be bringing in this week, in my opinion. Um, and we know... He's an absolute bonus magnet. But I think after this, he's got Brighton and Arsenal. So for me, that would just be not one I would go for. Yeah, I'm not interested in short at this time. If you fancied their defence, you have a better option probably in the goalkeeper. Um, Attacking-wise, sure, maybe. But you'd want some better. Sure, funny. But you'd want some better uh, You'd want some better fixtures. And I think putting it here as well shows how stark the difference was between the number of clean sheets they kept last season and the underlying data. Their defence was really mid-table. So you'd probably want to see an improvement in that. And it's, it's not improved so far this season. They've conceded, is it over 2xG to Wolves? Which is probably not something to be too proud about. Yeah, and they've and they've um, uh, got 4xG themselves. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, is that right? Or is that, yeah, they've got 4xG. Well, I know, I mean, obviously alluding to this table that's going to come up in a second, but I know Bruno's got like over 2xGI himself, which yeah. is a good reason to keep him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so... <laughs> It's like the opposite of both ends, isn't it? They've been actually, particularly in terms of having a clean sheet, I mean, not in the Spurs game, but having that clean sheet against Wolves, they've massively overperformed and then they've underperformed yeah. instead of goals. So, um, yeah, and then just goes lastly, just to discuss those cheapies. So you've got Henry, who I've seen quite a few people go for, who's really interesting, actually. So in this list, we've got Henry, Botman, who we've already discussed, who's 4.5, and Colwell, Idogi, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, and Gusto. Um, I was about to apologise, but I don't think he's listening. Um, <laughs> uh, Gusto for four. <laughs> if, if he is, then we will apologise. I think that's a fair, that's yeah. a fair trade. Just let us know in the chat. Um, <laughs> but I think these like these ones are interesting if this is the route you're going down, because you've just got, again, because minutes are so varied. So I initially thought, oh, no, I'd never go for Henry. But actually, if you can compare him 
to uh, Gusto Udogi or Henry, or um, uh, Colwell, he's definitely got the highest expected minutes. And if that's what you're, if you really don't think that Colwell's, you know, guaranteed to play every week, or you really don't trust Gusto because he wants someone longer term and James is coming back, or you think Udogi, Udogi, I'm going to say. <laughs> um, uh, if, if you think he could be dropped at any time, that's where like Henry's a really nice, like safe pick, particularly if you've not got a lot of um, depth in your team, which some of, us, some of us are in that position because of losing players at the moment. Um, that's where he could be a really interesting option. Gusto, I, I just, I mean, I've got him already and I just really like him because uh, his underlying data last season was really good in terms of being attacking. He puts a lot of crosses into the box and I just think it's a really nice gamble at four if he does end up playing the next two or three in terms of he's a, he's a differential um, but the points potential is really high with those fixtures and if he does remain attacking but I appreciate it's a high risk play um, as well and Colwell is lower risk in terms of minutes um, and yet Udoji is an interesting one because he started the first two now hasn't he and suddenly has become quite interesting and I think people well, who... subbed off almost half an hour to go in the last match although okay. I don't know the circumstances around that there sure. may be a reason yeah sure I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. But it's interesting that there were some people who had him from, from game week one who maybe yeah. picked up on something that a lot of us didn't um, as well. But yeah, I, just I think, think he's Henry... a really nice pick. If you're if you're comfy with those minutes, then yeah. he's a really nice pick because he's cheap playing for... Uh, funnily enough, looking at the fixtures we mentioned Tottenham earlier, I think access to a good Tottenham defender would be really attractive, not only immediately now with Bournemouth, Burnley and Sheffield United, then Arsenal and Liverpool, but around that wildcard time, if you're wildcarding an eight, they go Luton, Fulham, Palace. So access to a Tottenham defender, let alone midfielder or striker, would be mm. quite an attractive option. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I think a lot of that comes down to how you read the minutes. Um, in terms of, uh, yeah, I just like I just like Gusto because we discussed it last week and then he did end up starting. But it's Diassi, isn't it, who could potentially play it right back? Uh, but I just I, I don't I, I don't buy that as much. Like yeah, obviously they they lined up in the same shape mm. for two weeks in a row. So obviously the the three centre backs had a role in the side because Gisto was right wing back and Chilwell was either left wing back or left wing depending on how you read that. Um, and then all three of the centre backs, including Colwell, were able to play in the team. I'd imagine there's a very good chance that happens again. Mudrick is out, mm. I believe. So there's every chance Chilwell plays on the left in either formation. And that would suggest that if this if this strategy is something that Potchers liked, it wasn't just maybe Trent-specific in terms of, sure, Chilwell's instructions and his roles may have been Trent-specific, but the actual formation maybe is something Potchers liking, especially while they don't have an Nkunku or they haven't recruited another attacking player, then I think there's a good chance that Gusto's spot is comfortably above the 72x min just in there. Yeah, now you've mentioned that around Udoji as well with potentially being uh, was subbed earlier in the last game. I hadn't picked up on that, actually because um, I've not really had to consider him but that would definitely put me off him if he's getting subbed around that time I'd, but... I'd look into why just in case I'm yeah. missing like you yeah. know was there a I don't know was there, I mean there wasn't a red card was there that would be the obvious one there was a red card and therefore he had to be sacrificed or something like that maybe he picked up a small lock and now he's fine I, I would look into why but yeah it was 69 minutes he managed in the in the last match and 90 in the first okay 69 yeah uh, who did he come off for so quick... I'm presuming Ben Davies came on who is a left back yeah so yeah, that's just Hmm. Yeah, Ben Davies got 20 minutes, so I'm going to assume that Ben Davies came on. Uh, yeah. Again, a Spurs fan can correct me. Yeah, Davies and, Paris, if... and Perisic came on at that time. Okay, yeah, so that maybe suggests there's there's an understudy that's going to get minutes, which I know some people like that, right? If he's going to get subbed off in 69 minutes and then they concede, that's nice, but I think I'd always take the extra minutes, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, 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 I agree. 
Yeah. Yeah, there are no red cards or anything. Oh, he had been booked though. Okay, that's interesting. He'd been booked, so that obviously. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's a good. So yeah, if he'd been booked and looking like getting another one, then maybe yeah, that's a good reason to sub him off. Um, Emil saying apparently the word is that Reese James will be back after the international break. Bard considered games week six his first game back. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that's a nice little period to have. So we made the Gusto Move last week as well, so we've obviously had one more week. Mm. But I think for that price, it gives you a lot of freedom to now do these switches, you know, Gabriel. Or even even if you've got Saliba, there's probably a world where Saliba to Trippier is a really sensible transfer. Mm. And you also might be trying to do Pedro to Jackson, yeah. like I think I'm trying to do. In that in that scenario, having Gusto is is nice. Worst case scenario, you have a minimum price defender sat on your bench blocking a Chelsea spot, but you can probably sort that in one week. What really probably happens is around about game week six or seven, you're not sort of sure if James is back and fit. You're not sure if Gusto therefore is going to start. So you end up with one week with some really dodgy minutes. But as long as you can cover that maybe with another starter, I think you can reverse it quite easily. Or you just about make it to the wildcard, which was my plan. This was a until wildcard transfer. Yeah, yeah, sure. And um, that's def- definitely worth looking at, even though you don't want to like book in transfers um, in general. Just being aware that, oh, in two game weeks or three game weeks, I might want to do this move or review says this, suggest this, or I think I might want to do Saliba to Trippier, for example. If you're you know, 0.2 short of that, if you go for like, Colwell, that might be enough to decide. Oh, actually, I'll go for Gusto because that leaves that option as an open, open as an option still. Um, yeah, let's move on to uh, forwards. We're going to go longer than I said, Seb. Apologies. <laughs> we were like, I mean, it's probably my fault. You don't need to apologize, mate. <laughs> Before we were like, oh, we're going to be strict with ourselves and go less than an hour, but it's very rarely like that. But we started uh, talking about <laughs> Raptors book, mate. So it's not that that's a bad thing to talk about, by the way. No. But, um, but no, it's probably my fault, so don't you worry. Um, but I've got a similar table here for forwards because I think a lot of people are particularly considering taking out Watkins or Pedro. Um, and it just shows exactly the same data. Again, ex- this is XG and expected assists over the last uh, year, um, tenth of a decade. Um, and then X-Mins and, <laughs> and Eevee for the same time period. Um and yeah, personally, from my opinion, I, I actually think, I think I made a mistake. Well, I think I made a few mistakes in game week one, but I think this is a mistake I made where I've actually had a good outcome. So I think so often it's easy in FPL to think, oh, to say, oh, I made a good decision, but I had a bad outcome. But I think it's important to think about when did you have a good outcome, but make a bad decision in hindsight. And for me, I think starting with Watkins, even though the outcome's been fine, because he's got two returns and Jackson hasn't got any, I think that's probably a mistake because I hadn't thought enough about the fact that I would want Jackson in game week three. Um, yeah. And now I'm not doing that just because of I need to sort Gabriel. But if I already had Jackson, that's probably one less transfer I'd have to make next week instead. So I kind of wish I'd start... Well, I don't wish I'd start with him now because I've got away with it. But I think that would have been the right play to start with Jackson. Um, I think it's maybe slightly uh, different for you, uh, Seb. You started with Pedro, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, which, if you adjusted minutes on review suitably... Um, then he did come out as a, a very good option next to Haaland. Uh, those minutes I set, by the way, were... 95. I think they might actually have been... A, yeah, yeah, 97. <laughs> I think they might actually have been 61, funnily enough, here, which is what they are here at the moment. Sure. But pleasingly, in I say pleasingly, it's not like I did that well out of it, but in the first week he got 88, in the second week he got 33, which averaged out at like 60.5. So 61 was in, in two weeks, which is not enough of a sample size. I was relatively pleased with that. But obviously what you'd rather 61 meant was like an hour in both games, right? As opposed to like full 90 in one and half an hour in the other. So not a great outcome for FPL points. And I'm obviously hoping he starts this week with, um, I always get this one wrong. Cisco. I don't want to say Ncisco. Ncisco. 
<laughs> that that player um, <laughs> with uh, with with that Brighton midfielder slash forward out. Uh, Pedro's minutes probably have gone up a bit. I think I saw them go from like fifty odd to about sixty on review in the default here, which was probably the knock on of that, but only a small jump. Mm. And I guess a part of that is because necessarily have to directly replace each other. Ferguson is also available. Mm. There are also other players that can fill that role. So while while he 60% confident in the start, it's certainly not nailed on. So a Pedro to Jackson move makes a lot of sense. Although I might try and find another way of getting Jackson, yeah. which might be my four point five defender. Yeah, that's interesting actually. Not many, yeah, not, not, yeah, not many people will be in that situation where they can potentially go to three up front. And I would just say to people who have got Watkins now, if you've got if you've not got Gabriel or James and there's no other fires to put out, I would just I would definitely do Watkins to Jackson. And it might be a bit yeah. scary because he happened to just score a hat trick yesterday, and he's obviously still a good option for this weekend, regardless. Um, Jackson is a better option for this weekend still. I think whether you use review or just look at the fixture, I think most people would agree that Jackson's the better option this uh, this weekend, whichever way you look at it. And it's likely a transfer you're going to do next week instead. So you might as well just do it a week early, in my opinion, on that one. Uh, but yeah, I saw Dan in the chat earlier saying that he was <laughs> worrying about getting uh, doing that move because of how good Watkins is. Um, but yeah, I would, just, I would just do that if I were you. And again, Isaac's on this list. Because it's over the next five game weeks and it's got the second highest EV just behind Jackson. But again, most of that kicks in after the next two. So I don't think you go straight to Isaac because of how high the upside is uh, for Jackson over the next two. Um, I don't know, if you're thinking about doing Watkins to Isaac, they're similar over the next two. Uh, Watkins slightly better, so you're better to keep him for this one. And then thinking about that next week or the week after if you're really convinced on Isaac. Um, yeah, and the, the, interestingly, uh, when I was putting this together... Over the next five game weeks, Solanke actually has very similar <laughs> EV to Visser. But I just put Visser on this because everyone discusses him. And I really wish I had just added Solanke as well. Um, but I guess either of those could be options as well. If you're not convinced on Pedro's minutes, um, suddenly then Visser and Solanke are kind of the cheapest two viable strikers, I guess. Um, and again, if you're going to go, I think they could both be good options over the next five game weeks. Um, as well I'm just it, it's just I think with Solanke it's that penalties thing isn't it it's clear that Brentford are a better attacking team it's clear that this is going to be in general very involved in their attacks but Solanke could just get two penalties in five game weeks <laughs> that kind of thing what like know. Solanke and maybe Visser and definitely Isak feel like to me at the moment is they feel like the backup option if like you go Jackson and then Chelsea sign a striker or if say Pedro doesn't start again and my then prediction of 60 minutes starts looking very wrong because you know he's going to start averaging like 40 minutes Mm -hmm. at that point I think that's why you're then thinking who am I running away to is it a Solanke is it a Vissa or is it maybe Isak for uh, for Jackson but I think now you're going to other people first partly because of fixtures for Isak and partly just because, you know, for the bottom of the list, I think there's just slightly better options at the moment. We haven't mentioned Alvarez. If you believe in his minutes, 64 here, which is healthy enough. If you believe, you know, he's going to start and he's now on that side, possibly slightly less at risk from them signing someone than Foden is. Maybe. I'm not really sure on that. But if you fancy Alvarez, you know, there's there's a high upside to that one. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. And it's, it's... Alvarez has come down quite a bit in the last couple of days because them signing uh, Doku, is it? Um, yes, yeah, Jeremy Doku, who notionally will play on the right, which for me feels like more of a threat to Foden, even yeah. if not literally positionally, because in terms of how Pep shapes up, 
Foden is more likely to be the right in terms of what he wants out of a team. You know, is there someone coming in on the left foot or there, whether he wants more direct play or more control or whatever. You know how he moves them around. Bernardo Silva, obviously, plays mm-hmm. on the right or plays in the middle or anywhere when he just wants more control on the pitch. Doku is pretty direct, I guess, in terms of he progresses the ball at feet. He dribbles, he runs, he's exceptional at it. At least his numbers in Ligue 1 suggest he is. Uh, end product maybe needs a little bit of work, but then we say that about every single young player in the world. Mm. I think the point is they think they've got a great package there that they can work with, probably similar to a Grealish. Different player, but in terms of, you know, they've got the skills that they think they can really work into the system. But he is very likely only going to play on the right as a sort of squad replacement for Mares, if not a if not a style replacement. So for me, Alvarez, who is almost in that, again, not the KDB role, but maybe the slot in the squad behind Haaland supporting him. Luke obviously goes into more detail than this uh, and more accurate detail than me. But we know that when they're playing low blocks, Alvarez might almost even play as another striker. But with like KDB out, with Gundogan gone, with space in the squad, he's also available for just that sort of more advanced midfield slash striking role. And also on the right, whereas I guess Foden is only really available for two of those slots. So with Doku coming in, I think you'd want to adjust Foden's minutes down slightly more than Alvarez, yeah. even if you're adjusting both of them down. I, I think, I mean, defer to, defer to league. If Luke talks about it, listen to him, not me. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. It's actually Foden I'm way more concerned about. I was, wasn't considering Foden anyway. Um, and we're not the scheme we get He was exceptional last match, though. I think it's entirely fair to be tempted by that. Oh, yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, the... I was thinking about just before we do this, like, because I was thinking, you know, Havertz to Foden. It's, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. It's very tempting. The thing with City is it's always that idea that, like, most FPL players were trying to predict points, as it were, which obviously are a direct output of minutes. But with City, the points are basically guaranteed. They're all good players. They play for an amazing team and they never play themselves. So their fixtures are always quite good. So if Foden is playing, we know his points are basically guaranteed. The question is minutes. Unlike, say, I don't know, well, Watkins, we know his minutes are nailed, but the question is, is he going to play well or badly? And we've seen that change over his Premier League career, whereas Foden has always basically played well, Mm. but it's can you nail his minutes? And I feel like we forget that it's very much for City that way around. We feel like Foden plays well and you're like, yes, he's finally showing the FPL potential. So he's always had the FPL potential. It's Mm. just the fact that he doesn't get the minutes to do it. It's very easy to fall into that trap. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I would, I would be more concerned about him and I would definitely be more concerned about Silva than Doku as well because we just know in general how often Pep, how long Pep takes to kind of uh, bed in a new signing as well in terms of getting to know yeah. a system. It's so rare that they sign a player and they go straight in and start really, really regularly. Um, I mean, a good example of that is Grealish. Like his first season took, probably took a while to get going, had like probably a bit of an unlucky season actually if you look at the underlying data in terms of just looking at assists. He was unlucky not to get more but didn't play that regularly. And then last season, he was like as close as nails you can get to for an attacker apart from Haaland. So I wouldn't There's, there's I wouldn't only a few that like, so Akanyi, but that was mostly because yeah. Diaz was injured. He came in and played so much. Yeah. Uh, I guess Edison, fine. Um, but in more recent memory, Ake obviously took a few years to go from backup to probably first choice. You mentioned Grealish. Phillips, we still see isn't in the team and maybe never will be. Um, Haaland obviously came straight in. But other than that, everyone needs a bit of a settling in period. Even someone like Rodri, who got a lot of minutes straight up, but I think for a while really didn't perform that well. It took him a long time to become arguably the best defensive midfielder in the world. And I think that's just because to play for a City side, you require so very much, for want of a better phrase, football IQ, but it's more Pep IQ, isn't it? You need to take on what he's telling you and be able to deploy it perfectly for him to use you in the team. Yeah, absolutely. And... It, I think it's, they're just so unique as a club in general. 
And we discussed a bit last week that we may be seeing Arsenal start to go in that same direction in terms of rotation. But for the same reason I just mentioned the defenders apart from apart from Diaz. Just like it's just so um, it's called Pep Roulette for a reason. It's complete. It's completely un, like unpredictable. And even someone like Luke, who's very good at predicting it, there will just be random benchings that he just does not see coming at all. Yeah. Like where players just suddenly bench for three games in a row and they just had the game of their life. And Pep's even said in a press conference, "Oh, he's the best young player in the world," or something, something to that. <laughs> Probably not that extreme, but says oh, one of the best players I've ever worked with in a fantastic moment. <laughs> uh, and then yeah. we'll and then we'll go. He always says that in a in a moment. Um, and then we'll just suddenly be benched for three weeks. So it's just, there's an element yeah, to it. Praise, praise is bad from Pep half the time, isn't it? He praises them and they're like, oh, benched. Yeah. Um, I think, like, like don't, don't let us put you off, you know, Alvarez or Foden too much. There is some there is some good FBL potential there. But I think it's really important to temper that just with the idea that these minutes just are not certain. And you might get the same points elsewhere in less sexy fashion just by getting 20 minutes more a match. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, great. Should we move on to some questions to finish, Seb? I've not prepped you with these. Um, okay. I can't say I've not really looked at them yet either, but we'll be, uh, we'll do it in the moment. Okay. Uh, so Steve Wright, Steve Sky FF on Twitter says, moving someone on who has a good fixture, i.e. Rash Bruno to an Embuemo or wait. Repeat that, sorry, again, I missed you slightly. Basically, would you move someone with a good fixture? His examples are Rashford and Bruno. Would you move them to an Embuemo this week? Or would you wait? Oh, wait. so much no. Like, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate you don't have Mbomo because I think he was a nice pick from the start. I don't mean as in you've made a bad pick. I just mean it was one that fit nicely with a lot of squads and obviously it's done very well. So it's unfortunate that that, you know, nice piece isn't in your team. And I can see the attraction of therefore wanting to rectify that. But you have Rashford and Bruno against Forest, one of which has penalties, just like Mbomo. Both are good for minutes and both have much better attacking potential than Mbumo if Man United are playing well. And I think at the moment, yeah, Man United haven't looked great when we watch them play and their defences let in some pretty big numbers. Away from FPL, Rashford up front, a lot of Man United fans will tell you they don't like. They'd rather him on the left. Entirely fine. For FPL, he appears to still be getting chances up front. We don't care if Man United play well. We only care if Rashford and and, uh, Bruno Fernandes are getting the chances to get points. Now, of course, those two things often go hand in hand. But we can look at the first two matches and say Bruno is putting up is it something like two and a half XGI the first couple of matches. Yeah, Rashford has had maybe one and a half XGI, although that includes a couple of really good chances. So sure, over the season, we maybe could adjust our expectations down if we think Man United aren't quite as good. But against Forrest at home, I think they're some of the best picks this week. And if they don't return, it will be variance as opposed to you know a bad pick if you like yeah yeah they might not return (laughs) um just a couple of comments in the chat so nick saying pepsi extreme in particular will deploy the correct player for the game form is not important yeah that's like something up well doesn't it it's just all about the system for that game um does luke not often argue sometimes that the form does it's more rhythm more like rhythm than form you'd say so more not necessarily how well they played in the last game but particularly going midweek to weekend just yeah. give, or giving them if they've got a big Champions League game, giving them minutes on the weekend in preparation yeah. for midweek. Um, but yeah, in terms of how well they play, obviously, like any manager, he'll account for that. But it does seem to be yeah. a lot less predictable in general. Uh, and then Pat, he, he definitely has plans, doesn't he, for how he wants to break a team down and how he's going to use his his weapons to do that. And then uh, Powell in the chat as well says Mbumo plays Palace second best. Yeah, and there's even more reason not to go for Mbumo this week from Bruno Rashford. He's playing Palace, who are. Like had actually had one of the best defense, one of the better defenses last like year as well. Fourth last year for underlying data for their defense, I think. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think Johnston's going to be a really good pick at some point when the fixtures tidy up. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, this next question, actually, I've, I've got a um, bit of insight from review. I mess- dropped him a message on Twitter. So the question's from Pete, <laughs> uh, FPL Marmalade, obviously. <laughs> uh, so these names always crack me up. Uh, what's, <laughs> what's the review EV drop over the next six to eight weeks or so for Watkins slash Saka been since they've taken their since they've not taken their team's last penalties. So how has penalties impacted their EV? Has there been a shift on McAllister slash Salah, given Salah's missed another one? So we actually messaged um, uh, Review, their account. Um, I don't know if the... There we go. And this is what he told me, and he told me he was happy for me to share this. So he said, um, I'm not sure specifically what the EV drop is for both. Watkins will be a lot less of an effect, as he wasn't as highly anticipated to take a penalty kick in the first place. That makes sense. Um, though Saka also still has a good chance of taking the next one, it might end up being something like two EV over the next six to eight game weeks for him. And then Ant added at the end, Salah is slightly dampened, though he's still expected to take the next one. And yeah, if he's slightly dampened, that'll it'll be McAllister. I'd imagine who's the main player who's maybe slightly increased for that reason. Um, so yeah, a little bit of an insight there in terms of, because you can't actually see that data publicly on review in terms of what goes into the algorithm in terms of percentage chance of a player taking a penalty. I don't think he wants to share specific numbers, but definitely some insight there. Particularly on Saka, that might be a two EV difference over the next six to eight game weeks, which might not sound a lot, but actually compared to another player um, going up, like Odegaard, for example, maybe that will be significant. Um, so yeah. You know what would be really interesting? In the same way that we can edit minutes, it would be interesting to edit some things like that. For example, mm. I mean, fixture strength obviously is the thing you can look at, but you know, chance of taking a penalty, other set pieces, anything like that. Or may- maybe if you could try and model some sort of like tactical change, that obviously gets starts getting more complex. But in in a world where review is the best calculator, for want of a better phrase out there, if you can get the inputs correct, then you shouldn't really be arguing with the EView, in, in, in my opinion. It's the, it's the best way of working out our expected value of what someone's going to do. The bit that we can argue over is minutes and penalty takers and stuff like that. So it would be interesting to be able to like take penalties off Saka, give them to Odegaard like fully, just fully, yeah, and see if that really made Odegaard a much better pick, or if Saka was still up there, and then maybe push that slider in between them. So like we were talking, sixty forty each way round. Does it make one of them clear, or does it just muddy the water even further? Yeah, oh definitely. I think that would be a really cool feature, and you could even go to the extent where you can edit it for all set pieces, etc. Um, I don't I don't know whether that would eventually be a thing. It'd be interesting. I think people would be interested in it, particularly for penalties. So maybe, maybe that's something we'll see next season. Who knows? Um, cool. Yeah, if you're just like a slider or you just added in players and you just edited the percentage, that'd be really cool. Um, yeah, but you'd, you know, just like what you were saying before about editing X-Mins until it's who you yeah, are. I just, want, I just want more ways to confirm my bias. <laughs> Ruben Diaz. They'd be like, what do you mean Reese James is on penalties? Review says he's on penalties. What are you going to do? 100%. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Uh, another question from Josh. Josh at Josh Davy 86 If we're playing Chilwell, Udoji, Estupinan at the back, can I afford to just bench Gabriel and save a transfer going to game week four with two transfers? Um, I think it's an interesting one because for me, Gabriel is just, in general, it seems to me like he's just a problem now, long term. I think if you're keeping him this week, it gives you more flexibility next week. But I think even if he starts this week, I still think he's a problem moving forward. Just the fact we know that he um, is willing to drop him. But we also don't know how much of that benching was to do with something like, for example, the Saudi discussions. Like, it, it seems like it's tactical, doesn't it? So it probably seems like he's going to be a problem anyway and someone you want to remove. So whether you want to keep him now for the sake of only having him on your bench, 
I think you'd probably be better to go Gabriel to Diaz, for example, and actually start him over one of those three defenders. Um, I mean, you definitely wouldn't start him over Chilwell, but I think you would start Diaz over a Stupinan. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't do that, I don't think. But if you look at review, it's quite a lot higher because he just really fancies a City clean sheet and isn't big on a Brighton clean sheet this week with them playing West Ham. So I think my my second highest recommendation on review is Roll, which is ahead of moving Gabriel to anyone. My highest recommendation was uh, Havertz to Odegaard, I think, as I said. Obviously, that is very specific to my team and my inputs, of course. So that doesn't mean that for your team, even if it's the same as mine, your highest recommendation is going to be, you know, a role or anything like that. You should definitely check it out for your team. But I think what that does show is that even though Review recognises that Gabriel is a problem, it may be as a problem that can wait. And this maybe comes back to the, the discussion we started this this pod with, where Review is probably a lot better at just chilling out than we are. You know, it knows Gabriel is a problem, but it also knows there's a chance Gabriel could play but it doesn't necessarily think that for my team, it's a problem I need to solve this week. I am happy to wait another week and maybe eat another price drop. Review is often cooler on things like uh, and planning transfers than the rest of us. It really rates having information and transfer, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely does. Like even this last week, it really wanted me to roll my transfer and it turned out it would have been the right thing to do because I did, Gab- I did um, James Gusto. I uh, started Gabriel and had Gusto first on my bench, but in the end I didn't even need Gusto, so I might as well just roll my transfer in the end, and then I had more. I'd have more options this week because obviously predicted that Gabriel would either start or come off the bench, which he did. But who knows that he might have only come off the bench because of the red card. We don't know what would have happened if it wasn't the, the sending off. Um, but yeah, it does really value just more information and delaying that quite often, and probably it's good. It- Sorry, sorry, please I, I was just going to say it's the opposite and double game weeks actually massively really likes taking hits yeah uh, that's what it's always a good one isn't it it sort of really tests our I like the idea of like being calm most of the time and then when an when a opportunity comes along trying to take advantage and I think review similarly more, probably more logically than me but similarly values that idea like you say of most of the time just, just chill out However, when something like a double week com- comes along, that's when you go big. That's when you start taking all your hits, uh, you know, especially if there's blanks and stuff around like that. Because you can, I guess, min-maxing is probably a bit of what it's trying to do in those yeah. weeks. You know, really maximize what you can do uh, with what's available to you. I think the other thing review really helps with is removes our ego from it a bit. So obviously for me, even if I try and tell myself that I'm being super fair with someone like Gabriel or Havertz or whatever, firstly, I picked them in the first place. So there's a bit of ego there where I go, well, I picked them, therefore I want to keep backing them. I want to be right FPL doesn't care if you're right. It only cares if you get some points. Um, you, know, you could also, on the other side, you could flip and say, I want to protect my ego. I want to run away from this bad decision I made. Also, obviously, I've talked a lot about the, you know, my my belief that this Gabriel thing is tactical rather than, say, Saudi interest or whatever. And that if Zinchenko comes back, therefore Gabriel may be back in the side. So, of course, I'm incentivized to believe that and follow it up with my actions because I want to be right about that. But it just doesn't matter if I'm right about that. You know, if I'm wrong, I should I should take that as good information and use it and base my team on it. Because my team doesn't care if I'm right or wrong. Only I care if I'm right or wrong. And that's somewhere where review can help. So for example, you know, review's telling me not necessarily to sell Gabriel this week. But if it was massively prioritizing Gabriel out and I was sat here going, But Sam, I believe, I believe he will play this week. Because look, I did this, I did this tactical analysis and I'm so clever, and therefore Gabriel will play. Well, the only thing I'm gonna get out of that is 
having my ego inflated, which is bad for the future anyway, or being wrong and losing points. Whereas review doesn't care about my ego. If review, you know, was telling me, or any other source, where any other objective source was telling me that Gabrielle isn't likely to play, I should listen to that over my own head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess the it's also the fact that reviews X Men's are like based on is a group of people, I, I believe, who kind of come up with them between themselves. So it's just you kind of are backing yourself to have. Uh, if you, I mean, if you edit it significantly, I mean, like massively in terms of like twenty minutes difference or something, you're you're really backing yourself to have more knowledge than those that group of people, um, or to have some kind of insight they don't. Whereas I think little adjustments are more that you know even within that group you'll have lots of different opinions. So I think that's more kind of justifiable. But yeah, you definitely have to kind of kind of check yourself if you're making huge changes like that or going against it massively. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, at Brun, B-R-U-N, uh, how do you model plan for uncertainty RE penalty takers? Can we've kind of already discussed that? It's really difficult to. You kind of have to, because we can't adjust that in terms, in, we can't adjust that in review in terms of who's likely to take one. I think we have to just use a bit more intu- intuition uh, and maybe try and work out in general, how often does it predict? I mean, you could do the maths and work out how often does it predict penalties to happen and therefore how many points is that worth, etc. And you could vaguely estimate it, which I've never done. But I think there's just a bit of intuition there. To be honest, I've never tried to put a number on it personally. Um, and then, is it foolish to also plan for the potential scenario that Salah could now also be off pens? Um, yeah, I don't think that's necessary. I think we've seen him, he missed two in a row last season and he still took them, didn't he? Um, do you think there's anything in the fact he scored the rebound that he'll be like, well, I still scored, mate? <laughs> I mean, hey, if you believe it's a confidence thing, like if Klopp asks him after the match, how are you feeling about it? Possibly, yeah. If he had, feel worse. Go, um, go and much as I would. Yeah, as much as much as I would normally argue that you know something like confidence is not something we should take into account in the FPL, not because it isn't a real thing in football, it's a massive thing in football. We just can't intuit it by watching someone for ninety minutes on a pitch. We have no idea what's going on in their head, apart from maybe something like penalties, where you know we can actually get this feedback. Where often people will tell us if they were feeling confident about it or not, and maybe that's useful. I think for Salah, the, you've got to adjust it down a bit, right? So if we did have this penalty, you know, X penalty thing, you would naturally adjust it down to we keep it in salaries taking range because as you said he missed last season and the only question seemed to be in take anymore and he's missed this one and scored the rebound but his conversion rate in his career is still over 80 percent. it's like 82 to 4 something like that which is comfortably in the you're really good at penalties range um you know if the average is about 76 percent, i think conversion he's nearly 10% over that he was until he missed those two last season. So unless you think something has changed recently, be that confidence, be that technique, maybe goalkeeping coaches have worked out how he's taking his penalties. Unless you think something like that is the case, I don't think there's any real reason to basically fall victim to recency bias and think that he's now worse at penalties than he was two years ago. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think you'd probably realistically move him from like 98% to 90% or something like that. It'd be like a small adjustment like that. Uh, would be my guess, but you know, maybe people disagree with it. Um, so you were just lacking slightly there, Seb. I still picked up the gist oh, of what you said, um, and you're absolutely fine now. And we're about to finish now, anyway. We've got other questions, but they're all things we've uh, all things we've covered, or the things that are very specific. So I'll try and go through and reply to people as well on Twitter. Um, I think uh, that's probably us, Seb. Um, we've got one question in the ta- chat actually from a different Nick: Is Visser a safer pick than Jackson? And I guess my answer would be that he's safer, probably in terms of minutes, particularly long term. Um, 
but that doesn't mean he's a better pick. So I, I would I would prefer Jackson Devisa, but he's safer in terms of minutes. I would I, I think. I think that's fair. Yeah, probably. Yeah, see, while Tony's out, <laughs> at least. Um, I mean, Casemiro is a safer pick than Rashford, but you'd pick Rashford, right? <laughs> that's a terrible safe. analogy. Ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he could get sent off at any minute. <laughs> that's true. Not safer. Um, Great. I think that's, we don't have any more questions, I don't think, in the chat, unless any get added immediately. So I think we'll finish there. Next week, it'll be uh, me and Luke, and then we'll get, um, Ben will be back on the pod soon, uh, I'm sure, and we we wish him well uh, also. Um, And yeah, good luck with your game weeks, uh, everyone. Are you watching Leeds this weekend, Seb? No, no, not this weekend. Not this weekend. I uh, will be. Hoping they pick up their first win of the season yeah i mean uh, this isn't a leads pod so uh, <laughs> i won't dwell too long but i think we're just waiting for the window to close but it having closed with us done something we've got a week to probably buy half a team and also maybe sell half a team yeah. so i think that's what our season really depends on on what we do in this next week yeah so i just wanted to mention it because i think most times our podcast with this season preston will definitely below be below leads in the table so it's a rare opportunity to <laughs> kind of mention that yeah We've not lost a game. That's entirely season. fair. That's entirely fair. Not lost a game, and you're the opposite, and not won a game. But yeah, not for long, I would imagine. <laughs> we I will see. I will see you in eight months, my friend. We will finish between tenth and fourteenth. <laughs> I can guarantee that now, <laughs> as we have done for the last seven seasons. Um, I remember that. I remember those days. We had about, I think it was like thirteen, thirteen, fifteen, or something. And then there was like seven, and then it was back down to eleven. Yeah, we've been like yeah. mid-table for like seven seasons in a row, and we like flirt with the playoffs with like a month to go. A few times. We did that last season with five games to go. We realised the same point as sixth and then we drop off. But, but Isn't that just the worst as well? Because yeah. all season, you basically know you're mid-table. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, there's this little hint of the playoffs and you start looking at the table going, oh, we're only two points off the playoffs. Mm. But you're like seven teams away from the playoffs. Yeah. So even <laughs> if you get those two points, there's just so many teams between you and those slots. Yeah. Oh, it's, the, the, the championship is a wildly... Yeah, no, it is. It is, yeah. Um yeah, but we'll see. Um, great. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We uh, yeah, really appreciate you all. I think we've had yeah, about 50 for the whole stream. So, yeah, thanks so much. Um, someone says up the Preston. Thanks, Andrew. Um, uh, yeah, please. Yeah, please like and subscribe. Do that. Give us a follow on Twitter. We'd really appreciate that as well. Because, yeah, appreciate all your support. It'll be me and Luke next week. Hopefully he has put up with me again, I'm afraid. Um, and then hopefully Ben on, on the pod soon uh, as well. Um, and yeah, have a great game week, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.